today, um, as we are speaking in the series, A New Way of Seeing, two weeks ago we spoke about the fact that we may not fully understand in a salvation gospel, praying the sinner's prayer brings light. But looking in Genesis, we realize that light did not create everything. Light is the first thing that came, but the continuous work of God, the spirit that hovered and the word that spoke, created beauty. Two weeks ago, we said to you that a new way of understanding the gospel of Jesus is that once you invite Jesus and he brings light, he doesn't want you to turn around and right now all you do is try to not sin. He's trying to set your sights on something that is better and realizing that he wants to recreate everything that has been broken in your life. And in that following of him comes this, this word transformation. I think the most dangerous thing in Christianity today is that people easily say that they are Christian. It's a matter of fact, the statistics right now, the statistics I found is 2018 and 19, and the statistics are plummeting, that 65% of Americans says they are Christian. Now, either that statement confuses you or you at peace with it. And if it confuses you, it's because you look at the world around us, you look at politics, you look at your neighbors, you look at you, I look at me, and I go like, I don't know if I'm Christian enough to say I'm Christian. Because Christian has become a way of believing, not a way of following Jesus. And I think the biggest thing with being a Christian is that you can believe in God and believe in Jesus and say you're a Christian. But I would challenge that Bible says even demons, evil spirits believe in God and believe in Jesus. Right? And I believe part of why the world is looking at Christians, even they know it's got to look different if you're a Christian. And today what we're going to be exploring is how you and I live in a world and the influence of that world subtly shapes our belief. Now, 23 years ago, I came from a different country. And I remember starting preaching here. Pat, you would remember. Ernie, I would use words and then there's a look on people's faces. What is he saying? Because I would say, you know, we were driving the other day and we got to a robot and we stopped. And people go like, a robot in Rochester. A traffic light in South Africa is called a robot. That's what we call those. I was deeply bothered how people answered the phone in America. They always feel it sounds extremely angry. I was raised in a country that has a very strong British influence. Being polite is normal. In America, people pick up the phone. Yeah! <laughs> and you go like, hey, this is Pastor Pierre. Then they go like, hi! I go like, oh God, who are you? The or the, and in the beginning, I try to preach and say, don't answer the phone like you're demon-possessed. <laughs> don't do it. And there are so many other things that were so, why? But the longer I stay in the country, the more the customs of the culture and the country we have adopted. Now I go to South Africa and there are things that they do that I go like, what is wrong with these people? And you know, it is such a, it's such a, ah, a flip side of the knife 
when I'm here, people still don't understand me when I order things through the drive-thru after 23 years. And when I go to South Africa, they say, you sound American. You're so pretentious. I go like, oh God, shoot me, stab me in the eye. I'm not here, I'm not there. Because you see, we don't understand culture. Because Jesus came into a world of people that were God-loving, God-fearing, and law-abiding. And what he spoke of was an offense to them. An offense is something that bothers you so deep that if thou should not kill was not in the Bible, whoever said this would have a short life on earth. An offense is something that is said that you absolutely do not agree with, and how dare you say this to me. And I want you to know the reason why Jesus said offenseful things, because he was confronting cultural influences in people who should be living a kingdom culture, a kingdom life. So today we're going to be looking at how we too, I, you, have become susceptible to worldviews that is corrupting the kingdom character of who God is. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, don't get angry, it's not even worth it, because we're all guilty. Just tell them, don't, please don't, please don't get angry. Because, you see, I think the, the biggest gift you can give yourself, okay, I'm just going to speak to married people right now. The reason why you fight is because you think you're right. Okay, you healed, go home. The reason why you keep fighting is because you think you're right. My wife and I went through three years of intense therapy a couple of years ago, every Thursday. And when I went... I did the, this with a therapist. <laughs> I pay, because you're going to tell her how messed up she is. Because you know I pray. I'm a man of God. Only to understand that unless we replace our judgments with curiosity, there's not even a starting point. Because if you respond to me this way, I go like, who do you think you are to talk to me this way? I'm a grown-ass man, anointed of God. Sorry I said that. <laughs> instead, instead, the question is, I'm very curious how my statement provoked you to so much difficulty. Because when you're curious, you open your mind to learning. When you are defensive, you say, I'm going to get up and never come to this church. There is nothing as costly as arrogance and pride. Nothing as costly as that. So, Jesus said this about us. He says that, but we Christians have no veil over our faces. I'm not going to explain that. It's Old Testament. I can preach on that. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. In other words, what he is saying, wherever we go, there is something that we've got to remember. We are more concerned about what people think of us at the moment. And we should be concerned the reflection of Christ. We are merely the mirror. In other words, if the world ever is going to see Jesus, he's going to see Jesus through people that has become more like him. Oh, I thought I'm going to get an amen. Mexican wave for something. In other words, he says, as the spirit of the Lord within us works, we become more and more like Jesus. But more and more like Jesus is a loaded statement. Because as you scroll on social media, have you scrolled on people who preach and you go like, what are they smoking? 
What are they, what, what are they doing? They are spewing judgments, hate. It feels like they're ignorant. They are living on a farm in the middle of nowhere. They're so out of touch. And now they represent the word of Jesus. And you know, I don't know about you, but in my house, we had an image of Jesus. This one. My mama took me in front of that image many times. And she says, look at his eyes because he's looking at you. And as a kid, I always thought, he's not looking at me. He's looking down the hole. That's where he's looking. <laughs> My mom used to tell me, don't hurt his heart. That was the image of Jesus. But the image of Jesus could be that. The image of Jesus could be that. But let me tell you something. The image of Jesus is none like that. Because we are so concerned about what he looked like. Because what I look like has got nothing to do with what I am. Just live a little. You look at yourself in the mirror. Isn't it amazing, the gift of God? You look at yourself and you look 17. You look at everybody else, you go like, oh God, they're old. Isn't it crazy? God's so good. We all think we have not changed, but everybody else is going downhill fast. The, the truth of the matter is this doesn't matter. Because you see, I have had such a beautiful, my wife and I have had such a beautiful relationship with a community of people that don't attend church at all. And they have very strong reasons for not attending church. And... Uh, my job's not for them to get to church. My job is to restore Jesus to them. And um, I, I was sitting at Good Lucks with Pastor Luke. We were spending time together. And this one young girl came. And I spoke with her and introduced her to Pastor Luke. Um, and she's very, very smart, very articulate. And uh, I said, so, hey, so what's going on in your life? She says, I'm working on a new thing. I said, what's the new thing? She says, I'm working on the fact um, that I refuse to form an opinion of somebody when I meet them. I said, why? Because I'm good at that. <laughs> right, aren't you? Two seconds in opinion. She says, when you form an opinion of somebody, in conversation, you will lead them to prove that your opinion is right. I go like, oh, dang. I say to her, oh, I have the same problem. Because when I tell people about Jesus, they have an opinion of him. But the opinion they have of Jesus has been vandalized by us. When I say Jesus, what I want you to see and hear is the Jesus that has been made known to me. What you may know of Jesus is that Jesus is if you wear makeup, you're a Jezebel, and if you do this, you're not of God, and you this, and you that, and you are looking at an image of Jesus that's been shaped by a world that wants to control behavior. So I said to her, okay, help me. She says, okay, I challenge you. I've been in your prayer room. He called it my meditation room. I've been in your meditation room. Why don't you get a blank canvas? I go like, what am I going to do with a blank canvas? She says, why don't you challenge your own faith? Put a blank canvas there and ask Jesus to reveal his face to you in a new way. I go like, okay, it's a deal. But I want you to go to bed every night and pray this prayer. Jesus... God, I know you're up there, karma, whoever you are, come reveal yourself to me. As long as you pray that prayer, I will hang the canvas. Because you see in my prayer room right now, it's, I have the biggest canvas that you can buy from Joanne's Fabric at 79% off. The biggest one, it weighs. I, I hung it and it fell off the wall. It pulled right out of the wall. It's so big. You know how much discomfort it is to pray and look at a blank canvas? And say, God, I'm going to let go of the notions 
of what was delivered to me of you. Because you see, Paul prayed this prayer. He was in the middle of, of Ephesus, a city that's filled with idolatry, cultural influences. And Paul, um, when he talks about his pedigree, he says, I was trained by the best rabbis that has ever existed. When I say trained, I'm not talking seminary like I did it. We just cram things, wrote test, and then forget things. They memorized the Old Testament. A child by age 12 has memorized the five, five, first five books of the Bible. Memorized. Memorized. Try Leviticus. Good luck. They've memorized it. But all of a sudden, Paul gets on his knees and he says this, after all I have done, my prayer is that I may know you. And I go like, Paul, how did you forget him? Lightning struck you off a horse. You heard him say, why are you persecuting me? You've had signs and wonders. You know what Paul is saying? He says there's a tendency for the image of Christ to dissipate and the world to mar it, to vandalize it, to repaint it. And he says, now I'm travailing again for Christ to be formed. And I'm in a place right now in my life where I'm travailing for Christ to be formed in me again and in you. Because I want to say this. I want to make this confession. I'm discovering that many of the world views has filtered into church. And we have been susceptible to it. And living off that platform, we did not rebuke it and move it. We stood on it. But that doesn't make us bad people. But we would be unwise people when we see it to not call it out. Because Paul says, I want you to pray this prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, come on. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. This wisdom is not smart. This is a divine knowing. And the revelation. Revelation means laying bare and open what was previously concealed. In other words, I'm here to tell you there are aspects of God that is still concealed. Because the God that I know may reveal himself in this season in a different way. Because the God of the Old Testament kept revealing himself under different names. Because culture had different gods. And God says, oh, I'm the God that is the rock of ages because all of a sudden they were worshiping rocks then they they were worshiping that and god says now i'm jehovah rapha different names because he was seeing where the culture was going and i believe more than anything we should be praying with blank canvases god open my eyes that i may see what part of what i believe has been infiltrated by the culture and the worldview that i'm in so a worldview is quite interesting. Everybody has one. Every, no, nobody can escape a worldview. It's like a culture. It, it is the framework of what you believe the world is like. And can I tell you something? Worldviews, oops. Worldviews changes in different regions. And what makes it so hard, we can see a strange worldview in another culture, but we are blinded to the worldview in our own. So we were in India. We came around the corner and there's a traffic jam. I'm like, what the heck? Why a traffic jam? And there was a lady that was worshiping a cow in the middle of the street. I go like, would somebody please move her? They go like, oh no. The cow is a former life, it's a god. We don't move gods. You man, you don't move gods. You know where my head goes? In other words, you can't move a cow, really? Because my worldview says a cow is not a god. I look at that and think, how silly. 
but our own worldview is so integrated in us that when somebody points at it, we want to fight them. So it is a framework for our convictions. What are, what are convictions? It is the things you feel. It's the mountain you are willing to die on. Do you know that some of the mountains that has ripped friendships and churches apart is a political worldview? I'm going to say it again. I'm not scared of you. Some families have not been together for four years because you voted wrong. A worldview. A worldview. It's our ethics, and our ethics says what you should do, and our values, our priorities, what matters to you the most. Now, I can tell you this. If people tell you, what do you believe? You will tell them what you believe on an intellectual level. But your convictions is subconscious. It is found in your actions. In other words, I can tell you right now, I believe as a pastor that you will live longer if you eat right and exercise. I believe it. I believe sometimes when we bury people and say, the Lord came and he knew exactly when this person had to go to heaven, that truthfully I can tell you, you ate too much Twinkies. <laughs> you had so many beers. All you did was eat ch chitlings and drank beer. You didn't take care of you. Come on, come on. Please don't write me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking the extreme. So don't write me because sure there is times where God comes and it's, he knows. But my gym to this day only gets vacuumed. In other words, I believe it, but my actions contradict what I believe. Now, this series, this conversation is to hold up the mirror and be honest about our convictions and our actions and pray that God will help unite them so they can become congruent in our living existence. That we are doers of what we believe. So, let me get to my message. Keep playing um, Rufus because it keeps everybody just peaceful. So, <laughs> the interesting part is, There's the scripture that says, everybody, come on, do not allow this world to mold you in its own image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Every time you expect people to obey out of willpower and not from the activity of the Holy Spirit, you are teaching people works and not grace. But people who do not allow the working of the Holy Spirit is confusing the world by saying they are Christians. Because transformation is part of what God promised. He says from the inside out, watch. As a result you will be able to discern what God's wills and whatever God finds good, pleasing, and complete. In other words, he says, I want you to know that there is something bubbling in the culture and there is an intelligent, evil presence that knows how to delicately over time begin to feed this into a culture where we think it's American and we don't understand, it's destroying the fabric of the kingdom of God. Oh, so can I get more like seven amens? It's hard. And because the Bible talks about this very intelligent being, he says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. He says, he is the father of lies. Secondly, he lies in a way that it doesn't sound lying. That's not a word. 
but it should be in the Urban Dictionary. It doesn't sound lyingly. Because the Bible says he was more subtle than all the creatures God has ever created. More devious. And the Bible said one more thing about him that I've got to look up. The Bible says about him that he, Satan, has the ability to blind people's eyes. Oh, it's hard. It is so easy to see other people's confusion, other people's leaning, but it's almost impossible to see it in ourselves. You know, when you sit, you do people watching, you're like, oh, yeah, they're definitely having an affair. I can tell I have the gift. No, you don't. You just love people watching and forming opinions. That's all. But in ourselves, we don't see it. You may want to write this down. Because the Bible says our hearts are deeply deceptive unto self. So when we look at this, we've got to ask God to open our eyes. And we're going to need the people around us to point it in us. Otherwise, we will not see it in us. And we think, right now, we are talking about your family, your friends, but not you. So let's talk about individualism. Individualism. It's so interesting. I'm, I'm guilty before we even start. I'm guilty. I'm so guilty of this. And it, it is so celebrated and it's so formed, and your upbringing plays so much in this. But when you see how it plays out in church, you will find how devastating that is. Because individualism, I am at the center of the universe. I am at the center of the universe. In other words, somehow it's always about you. It's where I want to go, it's my way. You know, especially when you want to date somebody and they say, I want you to know I'm a princess. My standards are high. It's my way or the highway. That's not sexy. That's a big problem right there. Because it's all about that person. Um, do you know that song? Um, what key are you playing in now? Don't play sharps. I don't know what that is. Uh, play, play a normal key. Play G, play C. It's all about you, Jesus. That's what you're supposed to sing. But actually you sing, it's all about me, Jesus. That's why we say it's about Jesus, but we sing, Jesus loves me. This I know, or the Bible tells me so. Because as long as I am loved, I am at the center of it all, I am all important, it feels good, and they would say to you that you have developed a healthy sense of self. You strive for autonomy and self-sufficiency. The world will tell you, you've got to be autonomous. Wives, husbands, be autonomous. Have your own bank accounts. Have you do this, I do this, autonomous. Because they are fearing if something goes wrong that you'll be paralyzed. And now you become self-sufficient. You don't need people's help. If anybody says, can I help you? You go like, do I look weak? But you know in another way is this. We've come to the understanding if you help me, I know I owe you, and I don't want to owe you jack. Come on now. In other words, now every relationship is a transactional relationship. And who is the end of it? This is me and my bank account. Come on, church. I need some amens here. This is the world we are living in. This is the world that I grew up in. This is the world that, unfortunately, you, you don't want to need people because it's too costly to need people. It's where... 
I served my own moral conscience. And if you grew up in a, in a, in a house and in a church that got so much legalism, you begin to tell them, you're not going to tell me what to do. God will tell me what to do. Well, you're lucky if you hear his voice every morning and saying, don't do that. Don't do that. In other words, don't tell me what to do. Can I tell you something? Your kids are born with that. You are born with that. Your kids are not even two years old and they tell you, don't tell me how to eat my Wheaties. Right? It's about me and it's about my freedom. Because you see, in every worldview, someone wants to be God. Because you see, when you're an individualist, you think it's immoral for others to impose any standards on you. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? And it becomes this fierce, I'm independent, self-reliant, self-sufficient. I am moral superior to decide what is morally right for me. You see, my faith is between me and God. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. We have perpetuated this with a term, a personal relationship with Jesus. You know how that plays out? I don't need a church. I've got Joyce Myers day by day. I've got the King James that can kill a cow if I hit them with it. I don't need annoying church people. It's God in me and I've grown so much in my faith. But what if it's not about your faith, but everyone's faith? Gee, for God so loved the world. For God so loved. For God so loved the world. No one of us is more important than all of us. Dang, it's a good tattoo. Get it. No one of us is more important than all of us. And right now, that is not how the world teaches us. Because if we begin to live that way, we would not have so many unfortunate things that happens. Because you see, in this individual, I put my individual self in the God position. What is a God position? A God position is you put your trust in something that will eliminate what you fear and will give you what you want and secure your future. That's where the statement, if it's going to be, it's up to me. How many of you have heard that statement? If it's going to be, it's up to me. You know what? That statement usually is formed in a place of hurt, disappointment. It's formed in a place where you work for a company for a long time and they just did the gadoodly on you. They just kicked you out and you go like, you know what? I thought I could trust them. I'm just going to do it my way. If it's going to be, it's up to me. If you've been hurt in a relationship, men are just evil. I'm just going to, I don't need nobody. I don't need nobody. I trust me. I make myself happy. I make myself gourmet meals. I, I don't need nothing, no one, I am me. I'm here to tell you, sweetness, it is the poison of individualism that is flowing through your veins because that is not the kingdom of God. There is no, uh, there is no, uh, there is no, there is no, I'm looking for the word. There is no, there is no time out places in heaven. You're not going to find people standing in a corner with a back stern on people because it's in the community where healing and restoration takes place. It's in the community where we are formed as iron shapes iron. So one man shapes another. We need, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, apparently I need you. Just apparently. Apparently I need you. And I can tell you something about the individualism before we're going to get into it a little bit more. It distorts the lordship of Jesus. Come on, shout lordship. lordship. Come on, shout lordship. lordship. Lordship is something that is not well received when you preach on it. Because you see, in the Bible days, when the church start, they didn't kill 
people because they believed in Jesus the rabbi. Caesar Augustus made himself the king of kings and the lord of lords. He made himself a god. So did Pharaoh. You know when they killed people? When they said, Jesus is lord of lords. You know what a lord means? It means it's the superior reign in your life. And that you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. All that you have is God's. You're simply a steward of it. In other words, you don't say, well, I'm going to do this with my life and I'm going to do this with my life. No, no, no. Jesus says, that's not Lordship. Lordship says this, I would love to do it God willing. Not my will, but your will be done, God. Not my will, but your will be done, God. It's not my money, but it's your money, oh God. It is not my house, it's your house, oh God. You've given me all things to pertain to godliness. How do you want to use what is yours? I'm a steward to do what you want to do, God. That's not American people. Don't come to my house and eat my food. My food. You know what the worst thing is? When you live with a family, but it's your Coke. God help the one that drinks your Coke in the family refrigerator. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, unless somebody loves Coke more than you. I, I, I just don't get it. I, let me not say anything. Church, the Bible says for everything, Absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible. Rank after rank after rank of angels. Come on, say this out loud. Everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. I, I, I'm up for anything. So my wife and I have tried yoga when we go away and there's a yoga studio. And then... There's bricks for those. You know those plastic bricks? And then they say, touch your toes. And there's a 90-year-old that just folds like a rag and they touch their toes. I need nine bricks between my toes and here. Nine, nine bricks. And I stand there and then they go like, breathe and think of nothing. I go like, are you kidding me? The 90-year-olds are going, oh God, he's going to die. I can't think of nothing, nothing. This is not, it's just not possible to think of nothing right now. But you've got to understand that only once we surrender to the maker of it all and we look at him, because you see, individualism says, if you want to find yourself, look inside. Have you ever heard that? Just look inside, look inside and you will find. No, no. The gospel of Jesus says, if you look inside, the only thing you will find is a heart that's deeply deceptive, that needs salvation, not discovery. It doesn't need therapy. It needs the rescue of heaven. You see, individualism says, if you want to solve your problem, just focus on you. The gospel of Jesus says, please don't do that. If you want help, where does my help come from? I will look up unto the mountains. My help comes from the heaven. And the king of the heaven of the earth, he never slumbers or sleeps. If you, if you need help, you look up. You don't look in. Listen, if I look in, life is a mess. Because I cannot rid myself of self-promotion, of self-interest, of self-importance. Neither can you. We always find ourselves in the middle of it. But when we look at Him, He brings it all together in the midst of it all. And that is why you and I need to understand as a church, a church that doesn't fully understand how this has infiltrated them, will find themselves wrecked by individualism. Because you see, I'm going to read a couple of things to you. And if I can come down, I know it's terrible for the sound and for everybody else. Because it's very possible that you attend church. Don't you never say it's talking to you. It's definitely not me. It's, it's not me. It's 
very possible that you attend church because it's a form of self-therapy. In other words, I'm here for me. You know how you're here for you? is when you get in your car and somebody says, how did you enjoy it? You go like, I didn't get nothing out of it. Man, that Pastor P. Diddy, he's been here far too long. <laughs> right? How did you enjoy the worship? Oh, why are they all sitting back there? I don't like it. In other words, you are here for self-therapy. Right? You are here for you. What if I tell you we are here for him and we are here for each other? Have you ever considered that your presence here is for him and for others? Have you ever considered this, that when there is a family gathering, it's not about you, it's about all of us. Listen, I think if there's one culture that understands Italians, you don't miss a family gathering. You don't, right? Oh, it's hell to pay. Because family is more familiar, it's more important than your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your job. What do you mean you're going to the Bahamas? We have family dinner. Cancel that freaking trip. There's no choice. Because you grew up where family is more important than self-interest. Can you imagine if you wake up on a Sunday morning, you say, I don't feel like church. But that's fine. I'm not there for self-therapy. I'm here because my presence is coming to the family. And it's about the father, his children. If I'm not there, my place at the table is open. I've got to be there for the family. Oh, can I give you another one? You see, faith is no longer just focus on what God wants. And I can speak to the worship team because I think sometimes the worship team finds this struggle and they are, have overcome it a thousand times. Have you ever heard the statement, if the devil comes to church, he falls in the choir? Have you ever heard it? Some of you go like, oh, I'm going to go choir if the devil falls in the choir. <laughs> worship, is, worship is something that is so beautiful. And Satan hates worship that comes from pure hearts. And if he can corrupt hearts, then he can have a form of worship, but it's actually self-exaltation. You know when that happens, then there's so, so much underfighting on the worship team because everybody wants to sing the solo and get the mic, right? Because now it's about the agenda of self-amplification, self-importance. And I'm not looking at you because you know I'm a worship person. That's when you're a pastor at a conference and you sit there and somebody preach and you go like, why are they so good? Why do they put, I'm going to look like an idiot after them. Oh God, please let them pull a hamstring. Please. Anything. And while you preach inside, you're looking for people to go like, you're the best, you're the best. You're the... And if somebody doesn't say you preach, well, now you don't want to preach at all. Church, I struggle with that to this day. I'm not looking at it from you. I'm looking at it from my wife. It would be too obvious if I look at it from you. I get off the stage, I'm looking for her. And all I want to hear is say, baby, you're the best preacher. I don't think I am, but I always say, I know. That's why you married me. And when she is not back there or she doesn't answer my call, then I go like, I'm done. I'll never preach again. I'm over. Does that sound healthy? It is individualism that's got to be crushed because my preaching is not for you to give value to me. My preaching is to have the privilege to stand with trembling hands that God would entrust me to say what needs to be said in the best way I can with a truthful heart, whether I get accolades or emails Worship team, whether I stand behind the drums, whether I get a mic, whether I'm asked or not asked, 
it is not about me because I can make Jesus as wonderful and as loud over here that I can make him over there. It's about my heart, your heart that worships. It's about him. It's, it's, it's about something else. We're not offended when we are servants. And Jesus made it so great. He says, the, 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 the smallest, most insignificant in my kingdom is the greatest among you. Because we are not here to provide you with goosebumps. If you want it, line up. I'll blow in everybody's ears and you get it. I don't even have to pray. My wife says, stop. It's true, baby. But you know what it is? It's about how I worship creates an atmosphere around me where maybe you've gone through the toughest time and you are wrestling your faith. But I'm here to worship Jesus and you just feel the presence of God and you did nothing. I'm just here for you. I'm here for God. I'm here for each other. I'm here for the family. We should not have had a Jewish nation. We should have had an Italian nation. Then it's easy to explain. Can I give you two more? Just two more, two more, two more. My gift is not there to promote me. My strength is not there to promote me. My financial status and ability. Do you understand? If you can make money, it's a gift. Do you understand it? Don't look at the rest of us and say they're lazy. I'm not lazy. But every time I go and preach and they give me things to sell, I come back and I've given the product away and the suitcase. <laughs> I can't sell jack. But you can. But it's God that has given you that gift. That's why he says, listen to me. Strength. It's not for status, but it's for service. Whatever your gift is, it's not for status. It's for service. Tech people, it's for service. Affluent people, it's for service. It's for service because it's to the benefit of it all. Because the Bible says, we, you and me, are the body of Christ. He's the head. And he's the all-important one. We are just... The privilege of being part of the body of Christ. Can you imagine a family that comes together and say, my job. Ooh, there's one more scripture. Ooh, 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 then we're done. Wait, one more. Please let me find it. Please let me. Ooh, read it to me. Do I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, it's such a privilege to sit next to somebody like you. Come on. Come on. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. It's not American. God, people. I should stop. But I don't want to stop because my inner voice is, Pierre, you're not even getting it. How the heck are they going to get it? Because it's so in our skin. You get in the elevator with people that you see as status and they say, so what do you do? I will lie the living heck out of things <laughs> in a righteous way. Oh, I'm an the ambassador for the richest Jew. Come on now. I did that. It's not lying, it's wordplay. And you know what's the funniest thing is? That people look down at you until you tell them who you are, and all of a sudden now they treat you like you cold. Not so in his kingdom. Not so in his kingdom. imagine that this family know and understand everybody that comes through the door is more 
valued and important than what we value ourselves. That's why I want you to know explicitly out loud at the cost of everything I am and everything I do. As long as I'm the pastor, we will never exclude or shut the doors or have filters of qualification of who can sit in these seats. Amen. Amen. And if you don't like it and you want to send me a bunch of scriptures, I want you to know you are blinded by your own depravity before Jesus found you. Blinded. Blinded. Because you think you were just half dirty. And you're not going to let dirty people in. Really? I was not half dirty. I was sinful. I was the worst. Paul says, I'm the chief sinner. One of the church fathers says, you criticize me trying to find sin. Let me tell you, I'm worse than the worst sins you're trying to find. And now, you want to put tests on who can sit among us? I'm going to say this in King James. Haveth thou with, losteth thou with, mindeth. <laughs> Jesus is able to say from the uttermost. And the person that smells like gutters carries the breath of God. They passed the peace, so what are we talking about? I'm talking about some of you that may now, right now sit here and go like, I don't like this kind of preaching. Next week you're in another church. Come back, I want to talk about consumerism next week. I want to talk about how consumerism has made every relational transactional. You are only as good as your last conversation. And if that doesn't go good, people abandon you and they tell the world that God saved you from the sinking ship. You know how many times I've heard that? After having relationships for 19 years? I go like, if God's going to save us from a sinking ship, He's going to save all of us going to take one out because here's what I want to say. We need each other. Amen. We need each other. You need the irritating part of me is I need the obnoxious part of you. You need the full me and I need the full you. I need you to show up not because it's convenient. I need you to show up and say I am here because we worship. We are completing the, the, the last renovation to make this the worship arena. This is not the worship arena. This is what was. Right now, we are waiting for the final quote to install speakers right around the side to mic the congregation so that your singing is as loud as that singing. Because here is what we want. When worship starts, it doesn't start there. It starts in the arena of every believer worshiping the living God. Because how you worship determines how we love the Father. The Father is not looking for a few. The Father is looking for His children. And that when it's time to give, it's not about what you're going to get. It's about how the family is going to impact the world. And it glorifies the Father. When, you, when you're hospitable, it's not, well, I don't eat, drink chocolate, and I don't eat donuts, so why should I get my hands dirty? Because others do. Others do. Because individualism stands in the way of understanding that I am because you are. You are because we are. So when you run out to your car, make a U-turn, run back and go like, I'm back. <laughs> it's not the same without me. And somebody says, why are you going to church? Because it's not the same without me. 
You see somebody who was not in church next weekend, go and say, it was not the same without you. Not the same. We have to kill us as the center of our universe. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, always be you, Jesus. Jesus, say Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of it all. Say Jesus at Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. Always be you, Jesus. Okay, try this one. Jesus at the center of my life. Come on. Jesus at the center of my life. From beginning to the end. From beginning to the end, to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, I love this one. Jesus at the center of this church. Come on. Jesus at the center of this church. Oh, from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else, come on. Nothing else of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit give us the strength to cast our crowns of importance our crowns of self-achievement and self-interest in the dust at the feet of the only one that is worthy oh may the Lord bless us and keep us as we find our significance in the greatest significance of our part in God's family, in God's heart. Oh, may we find as we surrender that the Lord's countenance will shine over us. That we will find our significance in the breath that we breathe and the hands that shaped us and the heart that loves us. May God confront every moment 
where we place ourselves on the throne with kindness. Why make room for you, Jesus? Help me to stay off the throne of self-importance. And thank you for my family. Thank you for my family. I need this family. Thank you, God. Amen. And may the Buffalo Bulls, Jesus, I'm just saying. One more time, God. I love you guys so much. Can't wait to come on, turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss church next Sunday. It's going to be great.